Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. In the Gun, episode 73, I'm Skylar Callahan, filling in for Wesley Euler and Owen Schmidt, and I'm joined with Jed Drenning, the signal caller. And with Penn State just a little over a week away, we thought we'd dive in a little bit. We don't want to get too in-depth with the matchup just yet, but we're going to talk about Neil Brown and his history against Manny Diaz. And Jed's got a lot of really cool nuggets uh, that we can dig in our teeth with with that. But first, before we get started, uh, a quick word here from BetOnline. BetOnline is your number one source for all your betting needs. Get the latest odds, lines, and matchup reports for baseball, boxing, golf, and more. BetOnline continues to be the fastest and easiest way to place your wagers, including live betting and your favorite casino and card games available to play right from your phone. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and get in on the action. Remember to use the promo code, promo code BLEAV, that's B-L-E-A-V, for your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online where the game starts. So, Jed, Manny Diaz, it's, it's a guy that uh, West Virginia fans probably know a little bit from his time at Texas. Um, obviously spent some time at Miami and some other places, He's been known to be a really good defensive coordinator, a very good defensive mind, but he's also had some defenses over the years that haven't necessarily been the greatest, um, as, as we all know, <laughs> during his time in Texas. So yeah, you have dug up some research on Neil versus Manny Diaz. So let's go ahead and just jump right on into what what's some of the big things that stand out to you in the in this head-to-head matchup between coaches? Uh, well, the, the book on Manny Diaz, and we're going to jump back into him here in just a second after I pivot, but the, the, the quick book on Manny Diaz, you have to be able to at least try to run the football. Uh, you have to try and stay on schedule. His whole thing is to knock you off schedule into third and longs. And as you touched on, as we get into the previews later in the week, next week, as we approach the game, we'll get very in-depth in terms of some critical and key numbers uh, that West Virginia fans should monitor, that uh, Neil Brown and the offensive staff will be taking a look at and staying on top of. Uh, but you want to be able to run the football. You you want to force him to be impatient. You want to take a couple shots. If you can hit a few things over the top, all the better. But perimeter screens are big, forcing his defense to scatter to the boundary and chase the football down and shed blocks. He will, if you start running the ball effectively enough, <clears throat> he will start committing and overcommitting and throwing resources at the box downhill and really roll the dice to try and disrupt your rhythm in the run game. Uh, I mean, you you saw this to some extent, and it worked against him. One of the games that I'll talk about next week is his final game as the D coordinator at Texas. I remember how shocked I was when this played out. It was at BYU, second game of the year. And Brigham Young, led by quarterback Taysom Hill, who had a giant at the time, a giant knee brace on, just coming back from a knee injury uh, in the offseason. Brigham Young ran for 550 yards on that defense. And they wall wall of Texas 40 to 21. The next morning, uh, Manny Diaz got his walking papers and he was off the 40 acres. So what you saw there, I, again, that was one of the games that earlier this season, I went back earlier this summer, I should say, I went back and rewatched. I rewatched it again recently, trying to study, okay, what does he do that's still the same? What does he do that's different now? Uh, there's still a lot of these even front concepts. He'll He's a base 4-3 kind of guy, but he also has 4-2-5 concepts. So he kind of merges those two worlds together. But his big thing is, again, if you start knocking him around and having some success in the run game, he'll throw resources at you to try and disrupt it. But 
quick pivot before we jump deeper into Manny Diaz and Neil's history against him because they faced each other as offensive and defensive play callers five times. But be mindful of the fact that in, in a game of coordinators and a game of play callers facing each other, this won't be the first time that Jordan Leslie and this West Virginia defensive staff faced off against Penn State offensive coordinator Mike Yersich. Now, of course, Mike Yersich famously came from the Division II level where he was rewriting the record books at Division II Shippensburg, and he was discovered by Mike Gundy, who brought him out in 2013 to Oklahoma State, and he did such tremendous things out there. Gibby faced him so many times when he was at Oklahoma State. Uh, he parlayed that into bigger jobs, and the next thing you know, he's landed at uh, Penn State, and uh, he's very good at what he does. Uh, he's a guy who believes in balance as well. He's a guy who believes in staying ahead of schedule. But back in 2020, he was actually the OC uh, on the uh, Texas Longhorn staff when, when West Virginia went to Austin. What I remember about that game uh, is that was during COVID, obviously, the 2020 COVID season, Skyler. And there were so many strange goings on. We were still getting accustomed oh. to it. Uh, th there was a small crowd allowed in the stadium, but not much of one. It was just unusual and unnatural and strange but it was a defensive battle so against that Mike Yersich Texas offense Jordan Leslie and that West Virginia defense which that year led the nation in pass defense West Virginia was number one in pass defense in the entire country in 2020 uh well part of that showed up in that Texas game because you had a very celebrated Sam Ellinger obviously we all know what he meant to that program uh, and, and he was kind of frustrated against that West Virginia defense. He completed less than half his balls. He tried to push the football downfield many times, uh, didn't have success with it. So they leaned on, at the time, a very young Bijan Robinson. And Bijan had a lot of success with 113 yards on the ground. And, and that was kind of their staple offensively. But it was a 17-13 to 13 contest that really teetered back and forth and felt like it was one missed tackle away from turning the other way. So... And, you know, by and large, I think a, a passing grade, uh, at least in terms of, of corralling that Texas offense by Jordan Leslie and the West Virginia defense the last time they faced a Mike Yersich offense. But as we'll talk about next week, this Mike Yersich offense is going to be kind of different in terms of the personnel populating that that uh, that that unit. Uh, but I just wanted to kind of pivot and bring attention to the fact that just a handful of years ago, West Virginia's defensive staff faced Penn State's offensive coordinator. Now, if you want to get back into Manny Diaz versus Neil Brown, they've been squaring off all the way back to when Neil was the offensive coordinator at Troy in 2008 for Larry Blakeney, uh, you know, Hall of Fame coach Larry Blakeney. And uh, Manny Diaz was the defensive coordinator. And this will tell you how long he's been there. Rick Stockstill was the head coach at Middle Tennessee State uh -huh. in 2008. Rick Stockstill is, I think, the fourth longest tenured head coach in all of college football. Uh, so that was early in his tenure uh, at Middle Tennessee State. But the first time they faced each other, uh, uh, Neil found a way to uh, put 31 on the board. They won the game 31 to 17. And uh, I think what drove it there was an ability to run the football. Uh, Troy ran for 164 yards. And I uh, had success with, uh, uh, do, do, excuse me, Duwan Harris running for 148 yards. Uh, so, in other words, they spread the field and played the gap game well enough uh, through zone blocking concepts 
to uh, to have their way and dictate the terms. And and there were times in that game too that Manny Diaz does what Manny Diaz often does, and that's you know commit the resources, trying to slow down that run game, but not effective enough. But that wasn't a really good Middle Tennessee State team, to be honest with you. But thirty-one to seventeen, uh, Neil as a play caller, want to know at that point against Manny Diaz as a defensive play caller. Go to the next year again. Troy and uh, Middle Tennessee State squared off once more. This time, Troy was really building towards something, uh, and they got the best of it in a 31-7 to game that was at home in Troy. Uh, now, in that game, Levi Brown played very efficient football behind center for Troy, playing pitch and catch, threw for almost 200 yards, you know, 60% uh, completion uh, rate at 18-30. So the pass game was effective, but once again, what did we talk about a second ago? Neil found a way to effectively run the football, this time in chunks. Uh, Troy ran the football for 264 yards, and that is what dictated the outcome of this game. That is what really tilted the balance of it from the outset from very early all the way to the final gun, the 260-plus rush yards by Troy. He had a couple kids go for 80. Uh, again, another kid was 64. You had some effect with Levi Brown trying to get involved in the quarterback run game just enough to keep him honest. But uh, so Troy kind of dominated that one. Now you have to fast forward all the way the next time they faced each other uh, up to 2011, a couple more years up to 2011. Now that would put – uh, in 2011, uh, you're talking about Neal at Texas Tech and uh, Texas, uh, the defensive coordinator we just talked about was Manny Diaz. Now, if you remember why Neal was brought in as the coordinator at Texas Tech was continuity. In other words, they had a falling out with Mike Leach, but they didn't have a falling out with the air raid offense that Mike Leach was known for. So they wanted to bring somebody from the air raid tree in to replace and, and uh, Mike Leach offensively and continue to run the same style system that they did. And that's, of course, a guy who was a wide receiver for wide receiver coach Mike Leach at Kentucky and Neil Brown. So what you got was a much more wide open version of what Neil did offensively. And uh, that's what the numbers bared out through the football 55 times in that game. But again, they were very overmatched against that Texas football team. I mean, that was a, a pretty good Texas team on both sides of the ball. And uh, Texas kind of had their way with a 52 to 20. Uh, and that was at DKR in Austin. But uh, Seth Dagey, uh, you know, blast in the past, and then we've talked about quite a bit with Neil's history with the Dagey family. 40 of 55 for 381 yards, but a lot of that was kind of between the 20s. All right. So uh, it was empty calories, so to speak, or hollow calories, so to speak. So, uh, and, and the biggest thing is this was a situation where Manny Diaz, with the superiority that he enjoyed in that game from a personnel standpoint, did, did dictate the terms, did get to reduce Neal down to a one-dimensional offense and force him to do nothing but throw the football and really drop it even, even a pretense of the run game. I mean, Texas Tech managed only 30 yards on the ground, so they were much more predictable in that game, and it was a blowout as a result. Uh, a year later in 2012, this is the same Texas Tech team that Mountaineer fans remember handed us our first loss as a Big 12 member when we got uh, run out of the yard there in, in Lubbock. Uh, this Texas Tech team was 6-2 and two when they faced a Texas Longhorns team that was 6-2. and two. Tighter game, this one in Lubbock, but Texas still found a way with Manny Diaz as the defensive coordinator, Neil Brown as Texas Tech's offensive coordinator. Uh, Texas prevailed 31-22. to 22. A couple things to look at here. Again, uh, you, you could see Neil trying to get back to running the football against Manny Diaz, but 
didn't quite have the success that he wanted. He got up to 112 yards, but not to the point that they could really be truly balanced. And they still had to lean on Seth Dagey in the pass game far more than they wanted to. So they threw the football 24 or 44 times, I should say, for 330 yards. But again, just 112 yards on the ground, so more predictable. They fell behind the sticks quite often, which is exactly what uh, Manny Diaz wants you to do. And as a result, they were only 4 of 14 on third down. Um, that that's what you got to watch out for when you're facing a Manny Diaz defense. And then finally, the last one to draw from here is uh, in 2015, and th this is the most misleading of the group, I would say, even maybe miss more misleading than than the uh, one-sided Texas versus Texas Tech game in 2011. When Neil took the job at Troy in 2015, uh, you know, at midseason, he had uh, a game in Starkville against Mississippi State. And they were 31 and a half, 32 point underdogs. So, uh, you know, Mississippi State was a prohibitive favorite. Manny Diaz at the time was the defensive coordinator at Mississippi State. Neil, of course, was the head coach at Troy, also calling the plays as he will against Penn State. Uh, and the result was a 45 to 17 uh, Mississippi State win in Stark Vegas. But what played out in that game, this time, Troy struggled to throw the football and to run the ball. This was, they were truly overmatched in this one. Uh, they threw the ball 36 times, but can only manage 142 yards. Again, Mississippi State was swarming to the football, tackling in space. Troy just – this was year one that preceded the three consecutive years that Neil had at Troy in which he won 10-plus games. So they struggled that first year, and this game was evidence of that. Uh, didn't run the ball that effectively. Averaged less than two and a half yards a carry, despite trying 46 times to get something going. Again, when they threw the football, there wasn't much there either. They were just overmatched and it resulted in a blowout loss to Mississippi State. So those are the five times that Neil Brown has faced Manny Diaz uh, as a play caller. Now, what interests me, Skyler, is in in studying this over the arc of time, and looking what Neil used to do uh, and continues to do and will do versus what Manny D has used to do uh, and will continue to do. I do think that Neil has evolved in terms of what he tries to do, approaching the game offensively more so than, than Manny Diaz. I mean, when you watch Manny Diaz to some extent, even 10, 12 years ago, oh. you're still getting some of the same stuff. In other words, a lot of creative, even front concepts. He wants to knock you off schedule, give you exotic blitz looks. He's a big creeper pressure guy. We talk a lot about that with Dave Aranda. Uh, in other words, he he is very good at getting the best of both worlds. Normally, when you bring pressure, you're sacrificing numbers. Let's say it's third, third down and eight. Well, ordinarily, if you have a blitz package dialed up on third down and eight, that means you're throwing resources because you're in man coverage. And let's say you're bringing a six or seven man pressure. Well, that doesn't leave you nearly as many resources and coverage. So you put yourself at risk on the back end. But what he is very good at, as is Dave Rand at Baylor, uh, these creeper pressures. In other words, you show something on one side and then what ends up happening, you might show uh, a six-man pressure. But what's going to happen is only four guys are actually going to come, and they're going to chop up the front with a stunt game. And you're not sure who the four are going to be because one of those guys is often off the second level or even a DB off the third level. And it's difficult for the offensive line to account for it. So often you might have half of your offensive line standing there useless just whipping on air while you have kind of a four-on-three situation on the other side. And, and now he's got you, and he has numbers and coverage. So that's what leads to the high sack totals, the high tackles for loss totals, 
again, we'll, we'll get much more specific and in-depth and granular uh, with these numbers when we do the actual preview, but but that's kind of what you're looking at now. I mean, I, I just don't know that that what Manny Diaz is going to be lining up against on September 2nd under the lights in Happy Valley is the old school true air raid that Neil might have flashed, for instance, when he was at Texas Tech. This is a, a different kind of version of that. And that's the big question coming out of camp. How different? And the, and the beauty of it is nobody outside the building truly knows the answer to that, including Manny Diaz. Now, he can speculate and prepare two or three different plans based on what he might expect to see. But uh, whereas the book's out on Manny Diaz, but I'll tell you what, uh, it's a book that paints him in a very favorable light as a cre creative defensive play caller. And you got your hands full because not only do they populate that defense with incredible talent, uh, but the packages and the positions they use those packages to put those kids in uh, is pretty incredible. So uh, it's going to be paramount to stay on schedule against these guys. And you'll hear all the numbers why next week, but that's, this is, this is the beauty of this. Uh, there's a lot of guesswork early in the season. And uh, I mean, if you're Penn state and you're sitting there and there's defensive uh, breakout rooms and, and you're, you're putting a game plan together uh, that's going to also involve contingency plans and you're, you're kind of looking at what populated our roster toward the end of last year, what's happened in the quarterback room, question marks there. Nobody outside the building knows the answer. Uh, what we have returning in the running back room, what we did in the portal and the receiver room, what we have returning in the line room. They, they just, even the tight ends, you know, uh, they just don't entirely know. I mean, from Cole Taylor on down the line, these are all new types of bodies in this offense. And they're things that Penn State has to prepare for. So uh, that being said, uh, it's going to be interesting because nobody has the answers quite yet, but I'd say by uh, 10, 30, 11 o'clock Saturday night, we'll know some of those answers. Yeah, yeah, certainly. And, and really that's the, the interesting thing about college football in general now with the transfer portal, because you've got almost every week where, you know, used to maybe a couple of years ago, you'd say, okay, we have to go find tape of this kid that played Abilene Christian two years ago or last year or whatever. Yeah. That was really it. You had a handful of those kids. Now they're all over the place, especially with yeah. the offense. I mean, there are four or five guys at receiver and tight end combined. You mix in, you know, the question marks of quarterback and then even defensively, um, you know, for Penn State's offense, when they have to go start the game planning, there's going to be a lot of question marks there because they have a lot of transfers too. So there's a lot of guessing game going on early in the season already. But when you start mixing in the transfer stuff, it gets a little hairy. But um, – Real quick, before we get to the next part of this here, uh, this episode is of ITG is brought to you by our friends at Toothman Ford. We all know cars cost less than Grafton. Um, Jed, I, I wanted to ask you because of this, and, and you mentioned the kind of over-aggressiveness that Manny may have at times. It almost feels like a must when you, for, for success at least, if you have an offensive line that's veteran-laden and experienced, and you have a, a dual threat quarterback, if you have that combination, it feels like your chances of success against that type of defense is a little bit higher than if you only had one of the two or neither. What do you think? Uh, well, again, we'll, we'll provide a teaser here. Okay. Uh, it's very difficult to throw the football for a host of reasons against Penn state, more specifically on first down. Uh, they feast on incompletions on first down, those zero yard gains leading to second and 10. Uh, they're better than anybody in the country at forcing you to do that. So you're, you're almost encouraged by default to run the football on first down to try and stay ahead of the chains. Uh, when I look at West Virginia, 
uh, and the offensive line as a unit. Uh, we were also Penn State defensively feasts on forcing missed assignments. So tackles for loss are downstream of MAs. So when you face Penn State, you can't afford a long list of MAs because you're going to be behind the chains and it's going to be second and 12. It's going to be third and eight. West Virginia's offensive line was among the fewest in the nation at blowing assignments or having MAs on called run plays. So if you can find a script or a schedule to sneak just enough success in the pass game and the throw game in on first down, making sure that you gain a profit because you don't go broke making a profit. It's the old saying. Even if it's a little bit at a time, what you don't want is this, this laundry list of incompletions to, to feed into Penn State's second and 10 machine. So if you can sneak in just enough in the pass game, maybe even taking a shot or work the perimeter screen game, treat it as a sweep, an extension of the run game, and have some success with by minimizing your MAs and executing against a very talented Penn State front seven, uh, what I'd like to see on those early downs is West Virginia to have enough success to force him to get frustrated and throw some of those resources downhill. That's a good thing yeah. because sacrifices do tend to happen somewhere else in the defense when you're forcing a, a play caller to do that. So there's something to be said for that. But as I touched on, that I, I this is a big, big tease. We're, we're going to get very, very detailed in terms of the numbers to look for and the tendencies to look for when attacking this Penn State defense and, for that matter, what West Virginia's defense should do when facing Penn State's offense. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. Next week, we are going to be giving you guys a load of content. We're going to have Penn State breakdown. We're going to have Phil Steele, I think, next starting next week. We've got, um, you know, obviously we're going to have one more show coming up on Monday also. We may even sneak one more in there before the game. So there's a lot of good stuff, and we want you guys to make sure that you're consuming all that. So go to uh, our YouTube page at In The Gun Podcast and make sure you hit the subscribe button and hit that like button as well. One final thank you to Fortis the roof, for Roof Performance and Financial Security Guarantee. Make sure to visit Fortis.us.com. And that's going to do it for us today. For the Signal Caller, Jed Drenning, I'm Skylar Callahan. And the one thing we ask of you is to be in here and tell in here about your favorite WV podcast. You've been In The Gun. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.